0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi T. Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions in the comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah at gmail.com, and of course, I will answer as many as I can. Well, the holidays are now behind us. You know, this was just a month full of beautiful, amazing holidays. And there was a there's a reason to the setup. You start with Rosh Hashanah, right? We declare God as king. And then you get to Yom Kippur. We ask the king for forgiveness. And then we're so happy that we've been forgiven. We go out to our sukkah, to our hut. We enjoy just hanging out with God and finally get to everybody's favorite, Simchat Torah or Simchat Torah, where we dance with the Torah scrolls and we complete the reading of the Torah from beginning to end. Well, at the beginning of the year, so at the beginning, but now at the end of the year, uh, we have now completed the reading of the Torah. And now we start all over from the beginning. And first thing, you know, for me, the holidays are just energizing. It just, it gives you that warmth, that good feeling that now you're ready for the long, cold winter. If, you live in Michigan or anywhere else where it happens to snow, um, but yeah, that's that's what it's all about. It's it's the end of the year. The year is over. Even in the even in the at least in farming areas, this would be the end of the year because you harvested. Um, really Passover time, uh, Shavuot time, and then you it dries out in the fields. You got to do your winnowing and threshing and, and your combine machines, whatever you use to gather in all your grains. And now everything has been gathered in and put away for the winter. And in a farm, it's getting ready to start the process all over again. That's true. You are getting ready to start the process all over again. But... Um, that's you know you know you, you we we enjoy we're happy we got all our stuff my I guess my money is put away to help me or really I mean that's the time that's what the whole holiday is about we're thanking God for this whole long wonderful period that everything I worked hard for um, was successful hopefully and whether the answer to that is yes or no but now it's like a new beginning. Now it's a fresh start. The same way after Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, we've been forgiven. We're ready for a fresh start. Um, We restart the Torah, fresh start. And, you know, I look at it in school, the same thing. You know, we start for a couple weeks, right? You know, get the kids into it and stuff. But for me, this is when the school year now begins. We're now beginning, fresh start. Doesn't matter what happened in the past. Doesn't matter what last year was all about. All we care about is let's see what happens this year. I should worry about last year? Don't worry, have boys in class, we uh, we finished our first uh, portion for the year, so we're going to have a party tomorrow. So, of course, have boys say, oh, well, last year we did it this way. I said, it was last year. We're in a new class. You could go back to the old class, but that's not how we do it here. We're going to do it our way. Right? It's a fresh start for everyone. It's a beautiful thing. And uh, again, I'm just hoping everyone has an amazing, new, fresh year. Again, my life revolves around the school calendar, the school year. The school year also revolves around the holidays, and now we start. So for everybody and everything, hopefully everyone will have an amazing, amazing, beautiful new year. And of course, with that, let's remember, um, to all my dedicated listeners, I know how you love the show, and I need your help. Right, to help the show spread, I need you to go to my homepage, hit that donate button, leave your name, I give you a shout out, you want a memory of somebody, happy birthday for somebody, um, and in advance I do thank you. Okay, so let's talk about this week's Torah portion. So last week's Torah portion, the world was created. Now, we've uh, the world's been going and not doing very well. As a matter of fact, the world's been doing terrible. And we have to draw a picture a little bit of what that world looked like. The world was different before the flood. It was perfect weather. Everything grew beautiful. People were healthy. Everyone had food. Everybody lived a very, very long time. And uh, as I told my class, when life is perfect, what do I need God for? That's problem number one. And problem number two is when everything is perfect and I have everything, I'm always looking for new stuff. And a lot of times that new stuff is not going to be so good because I'm always looking for a new pleasure, a new idea, something even wilder, something even more over the top. It's, I don't become satisfied because I have everything. And when I, when I have everything, I'm not satisfied. If I'm not satisfied, that's terrible. So the world was full. They didn't want to believe in God and idol worship and murder. And But the biggest problem in the world was actually thievery. was robbery. No one was safe. I guess there was no police. If there were police, they could care less. Um, and they would even be cutesy, right? Well, I just take a little bit. I won't steal a lot. I just take a little bit. And everybody just takes a little bit. Well, imagine if you're a grocery store. And everybody just takes a little bit. Everybody, you know, took one apple. Okay, now there's no apples left. And there's no bananas left. and no grapes left. There's, no, there's nothing left. So why am I keeping my grocery store open if anybody's going to rob me blind? Which, by the way, you know, inner cities, that's a problem, right? Detroit, to my knowledge, I mean, they're supposed to be opening some stores down there. But what kind of stores do they have down there? You're not going to open a major grocery store because you... You can't afford to protect all your merchandise. So you lose. And this is not the time or place to discuss who's at fault, who's responsible. That's not so relevant to the conversation. It's just the fact. And the fact is if everybody's robbing me blind, I'm closing down my store. So no stores. So the world is not surviving. The world may be weather is perfect and health is perfect and life is perfect. But for a world to exist, that was now missing. So God is unhappy. So God says, I'm going to give the world 120 years. You know, teachers will give you one more chance, right? You've got like 10 minutes. All right, but God's giving the world 120 years. And in, during those 120 years, Noah is going to build an ark. And, and that ark is going to put in two of each kind of animal, seven of each or seven, double two of each kosher animal and seven of the birds. And that will be how the world will be able to survive because Noah and his wife and children will go into that ark and they will survive the flood. But the idea of it taking so long, there's a few different facets to why the ark had to take so long to build. One is, and it's not the more famous answer, it's the answer I happen to like, is uh this ark is like a spiritual ark. It's not just a physical ark. To survive the flood, to be ready to restart the world, it's got to be a spiritual ark also. So it has to actually be made with the right intent. So Noah's going to actually plant the trees to build his ark. And every step of the way, he's not hiring you know, thousands of workers. He's doing everything. And this spiritual arc will have the wherewithal to withstand the outside world, the floods, and restart the world all over again. But the more famous answer, they didn't have newspapers, right? They didn't have... They didn't have NRM streamcast, right? How, they didn't have uh, internet. How exactly is the world going to find out that God's bringing a flood? So Noah's going to build this humongous boat in his backyard. And people are going to come by, and the neighbors are going to come by. If you've heard the, I don't know if you're allowed to listen to Bill Cosby anymore, but when you were able to listen to him, and when he, at least we thought he was an outstanding citizen, so he had his famous uh, bit with Noah and God. All right, but the bottom line is the neighbor comes by and says to Noah, what are you doing? And, the, uh, and Noah says, not in Bill Cosby's version, and Noah says, I'm building a, a boat. And the neighbor says, well, you're a fool because there's no water here. And how are you going to get this boat to the water? So Noah's going to tell him, I don't have to get the boat to the water. The water's coming to the boat. There's going to be a flood. It's going to wipe out humanity. And it's just going to be me and my kids and the animals I bring on board. So you would hope the neighbor would say, well, what should we do? Well, repent. Tell God you're sorry. You, you, you're, you're not living the lifestyle that God wants you to live. We're going to get police. We're going to stop the thievery. And God will say, okay, no problem. Let the world continue. That was the goal. That was the idea that Noah's going to build this ark. You can imagine, he becomes the laughing stock of the world. He probably becomes a tourist attraction. Um, I imagine that people had uh, little stands. You want to buy some lunch? Maybe you want a, uh Maybe you want to uh, buy some souvenirs of a miniature ark, or or maybe you want to have some signs that you know I climbed Noah's ark, or I didn't go into Noah's ark. I don't know. Whatever. Uh, Whatever you would like those signs to say, but he became the laughing stock of the world. Now, but the purpose was served. He may be the laughing stock, but the world has now found out that God plans to bring a flood. Except the world could care less, and Noah becomes the fool. And maybe that helps us understand the beginning of the Torah portion. Right, the Torah portion starts out that Noah is tzaddik. God says Noah is the only righteous person because the idea of the righteous person serving God means he has to have the ability to serve God and not care what anybody else says. This is probably like a perfect timing. Um, I actually had a a grandson last week. Thank you very much. And he was named after my father. So when my son-in-law got up to speak, um, he wanted to tell over something about my father. And he said really a beautiful thought, a beautiful point about my father, He and I think he got it. My father was what you would call the shusher. What's a shusher? So in synagogue, you're not supposed to talk. You go to synagogue to pray. You want to talk, stay home. Go outside in the hallway. But many people can't handle not talking to their friend, neighbor, family, whoever's sitting next to them in synagogue. So the rabbi would give constant speeches and tell people how important it is to be quiet, but uh, people are people. My father was a big guy, 6'3", 220, and he would walk around and he would stand next to you if you were talking. He would hand you a piece of paper to say, please stop talking, and he got a lot of abuse for it. But he didn't care. Because in his mind, if the rabbi says no talking, the rabbi is telling us what God wants, how God wants us to act, and I'm going to do what's right. I don't care what everybody thinks. Right? And was, that's what Noah had to be. He's the tzaddik. He doesn't care what other people think. As long as he knows that God is happy with him and he's doing what God wants, Okay, so people aren't happy. So Noah is the laughingstock. And my father took the verbal abuse. That's, I mean, I want to say God wants people to be abused. Let's not take it that way, right? But sometimes to serve God, you got to be willing to to take abuse from people who don't know better. And you got to know what's right. And you got to be willing to stand up for what's right. Unfortunately, um... Probably always. You yeah, got time of Noah, I want to say nowadays. Not nowadays. Probably always days, if there's such a phrase. It is now. Always days, right? Always. In the time of Noah, people made fun of him. Nowadays, people also make fun of you when you want to do the right thing. Why do people make fun? Because I make fun, so now I don't have to listen. Because you're the guy we make fun of. And I don't want to be that. And this comforts me. That I'm, I'm really a good guy, right? So that's, that's what's going on with Noah. Noah is the tzaddik. He is the righteous person, and God says he's the one. His family will survive, and the world will be rebuilt through Noah and his family. Um, the, what's interesting is the rabbis have difficulty. It's a straightforward verse. The verse says Noah was righteous. He was perfect. So, But the rabbis still have difficulty. Was he really so righteous? Was he really such a great guy? And the reason they have this difficulty is because there's one more word in the verse that they have difficulty with. Noah was a righteous man. He was perfect in his generation. What do you mean in his generation? What's the extra word for just tell me Noah was righteous, he was perfect, put a period right there, put a bow on it, I get it. Why do you have to tell me? Why does the Torah need to state in his generation? So the rabbis, because of that difficulty, there's a discussion, an argument amongst the rabbis, was Noah only righteous in his generation? And I was compared to all these rotten people, the fact that he's willing to stand up to them So he's righteous, but maybe in another generation, um, he wouldn't have been considered as special. He always was good. But would he have been that great righteous person or maybe not? And the comparison, and uh, maybe it's not fair, the comparison is Abraham. As when I put Noah and Abraham side by side, what do I see? So even the language in different verses, they are different. And one of the, the languages that we find is that, that it says um, God went with Noah. It says Abraham went before God. God went with Noah, in other words. And I saw this uh I saw my seller's house, and he has his own bookcase. I have my bookcase, and it's great when you go to other people's houses. You always check what unusual Books they might have, and my son-in-law had really a great um, commentary that I got hooked on, and I tried to order it online, and I went into stores, and it doesn't exist right now, and it's it's out of print. So I'm on some email waiting list probably for the next ten years till somebody wants to reprint it, or till miraculously I find it somewhere else. But anyways, the name of the save was Ber Yosef. So he says the difference between Noah. And Abraham was fascinating. Noah believes in God. Noah is going to stand up and do what's right. Noah is not going to worry if he takes abuse, but God's going to have to make sure he protects Noah. Noah is not the guy that can be in the mud and then wait for God to pull him out. Noah needs that God should make sure he doesn't fall in the mud, unlike Abraham, for example. The world said to Noah, they said, we don't believe there's going to be a flood, but just in case, just in case, Noah, you're right, when those rain waters start to fall, you're going to be with us. We're going to destroy your ark. We're we're going to let you build it. Go right ahead. It's great entertainment, great tourist site. But if there's actually a flood, I tell you right now, we will destroy it and you'll die with the rest of us. So what happens? (laughs) Noah doesn't have to worry about it. Because God surrounds the ark with all kinds of wild animals. Bears, lions, and all those people that threaten to destroy the ark... Go right ahead. So Noah sort of is, re- is removed from that part of the process. Noah is not falling in the mud. While Abraham is forever falling into the mud and he waits for God to save him. Uh, Abraham has it out with uh, Nimrod. Nimrod says, Either bow down to me, I'm going to throw you into a fiery furnace. Abraham says, Go right ahead. So He's thrown into fire fire furnace. God has to save Abraham, right? We have the, for the there's a war with the four and five kings. Really, those four kings were coming after Abraham. So they capture his nephew. And Abraham has no choice but to go to war against these four kings with his minuscule army of 318 people. Okay, Abraham wins. But over and over, we find that God tests Abraham over and over and over, God is busy testing Abraham, and Abraham um, has to have such an amazing level of belief that even when everything looks like it's over, he knows God will come and save him. He goes down to Egypt, and uh, his wife is kidnapped. Sarah is kidnapped by Pharaoh, and Abraham knows God's going to have to save my wife and get her out of the mess that she's in, and sure enough, that's what God does. Noah, we never find that Noah is in a situation where he, everything is already collapsing and he has to trust in God that God will come and save him. Well, Abraham is always in that situation. So Noah and Abraham are definitely different. So again, when you want to put them side by side, again, Abraham didn't live in Noah's generation. Noah didn't live in Abraham's generation. We, we understand that part. But this is where it's coming from. Let's not get it wrong. Right? Noah is righteous. Noah will stand up against the world um, and not worry that the world is making fun of him because he knows that's what God wants. Noah is righteous. Noah is special. Let's not get anything wrong about this. But not compared to Abraham. He's not an Abraham. That's why the Jewish people, we say, we're, we're the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We don't say we're the children of Noah, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, and as a, uh, as a as a as a continuation on that thought, there's another major difference we find behind between Noah and Abraham. Noah will stand up to the world. You can make fun of me. You could toss tomatoes at me. You can say, whatever you want about me, I know what's right, I know what's wrong. Noah says, I'm going to do the right thing. That, for sure, Noah's going to do. But what Noah doesn't do is he doesn't pray for his generation. Abraham, when God tells him that he's going to turn over Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Sodom and Gomorrah, Sodom and Gomorrah, when God tells Abraham that he's going to bring destruction, what does Abraham do? He has it out with God. Oh, come on, God. What if there's 50 righteous people there, 45, 40, 30, 20, 10? He has a whole long, drawn-out conversation praying to God, save them. They don't deserve to be saved. They are so rotten, God's just turning over the whole area, like nuclear annihilation. But Abraham prays for them anyways, even though they don't deserve it. And Noah, we never find, because he didn't, we never find that Noah prays for his generation. So it's true that Noah is willing to stand up for what's right. But he takes care of himself, takes care of his family. He does not try, again, they ask him, uh, what's the the ark for? God's bringing a flood, you repent, otherwise you're toast. But he doesn't pray for them. Abraham is busy doing kindness to bring people closer to God. That's not what Noah's doing. Noah's not, I'm not saying he didn't want to bring anybody closer to God. It's just not what he did. While Abraham prays for others, he brings people close to God. That's Abraham. It's a major, major difference between Noah and Abraham. One last thing, because I know where time is short, but it is interesting In the beginning of the Torah portion, Noah is called the tzaddik, that righteous person. Unfortunately, after Noah comes out of the ark, um, the next time we get a description of Noah, he's the Ish Adama, the man of the land. What changed? What happened that Noah went from being that righteous person to Ish Adama? Now, you could really answer with everything we've said till now, right? When he's standing up to the whole world, he does what's right, right? He's the tzaddik. He's, he's not letting the rest of the world tell him what to do. But now he's all by himself, okay, he has kids. But now there's nobody, there's nobody. It's him, the animals, his kids, and God. So now it's not such a big deal. Right? I mean, of course, listening to God, there's nobody else. He survived the flood. So maybe now he doesn't have that part that makes him so righteous. There's another answer, but the music is playing, and I'm not going to get to that answer. I hope you enjoyed it short and sweet. Thank you, of course, to all of those ones who listeners. I couldn't do it without you. Thank you on the production team. We have Alan and Sisko in the back. I hope I've left you with some food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi T. Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Toro on Enos Dreamcast. And until next time, don't forget to think about it.